and has more to do with hospitality than anything else. It's time consuming. It is not hard. And you witness in order to find out what God's already doing in that person's life. And you build up on what the Holy Spirit has done before you got there. And I'm on the roll. It's watering time, everybody. It is time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we are having another one of our... Deep Conversations. A deep conversation with my friend Nick Ripkin. In fact, this is the third of three conversations that we've had. And if you haven't heard the other two, I would highly recommend you going back and listening to them. You will be glad that you did because they are inspiring conversations. Whenever I hear Nick speak and I hear about what he's gone through and the people that he's interacted with and learned from, I find myself challenged but yet encouraged and inspired to live a life that counts, to live a life where I am boldly proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is with everyone around me. And I hope that you do too, because it is really and truly inspirational. And today on the show, we talk about something that I think has largely been lost, and that's rediscovering hospitality and household and how to share the gospel truly with our lives. We often hear that, and people go back with either or, right? They say, you know, share the gospel and use words, or something along that line. And it's a both and. It's not an either or. However, some people like to do what I call drive-by evangelism. They just want to to spew it out, to get the presentation, and then get them into the kingdom. And while there are instances and moments where that does work, the greatest I think, and most effective form of evangelism is sharing one's life with another person. That's why Paul spent a great deal of time talking about the family relationship. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He did that so that whenever people would see them operating, they would see Christ in them and see how this really played out in the home. And that's why I think this episode is so important. It shows us a pathway forward to help us so that we might rediscover together this idea of household and what it means to believe as a household, father, mother, sister, brother, or if you're a single parent or whatever the case may be in your home, it shows how to live it out where you are. So I want to encourage you with this episode and to let you know that today's episode has been brought to you in part by our friends at the NLT, the New Living Translation. With that in mind, happy listening. There is so much in what you just said that is so challenging, and yet you're not talking about anything that the Bible's not already talked about. Right. Exactly. It, it seems as if we have neutered the oh. word of God and removed. I mean, we don't have a theology of suffering in the West. We have everything we want. We've got full bellies. We've got technology. We've got resources, stewardship. You're seeing the church 
decrease. As you mentioned, we're seeing the population go down. And it seems like we've lost our ability to witness. And there's a variety of reasons because of that. Our love growing cold, delighting more in the creation than the, the creator. Mm. Um, we've lost a picture of the majesty and the wonder of God. And again, there's so many different factors at play here. And yet God is working. And, and it's it's fearful to me. We talked about this in the pre-show walkthrough how uh, Philip Jenkins, we, we, we had this right. discussion about secularism and a lot of these countries are now getting these comforts and it's a, it's, it's like they're being, their faith is being swallowed up by the carbon monoxide of culture. Oh, wow. And my question is, is how do we overcome that? How do we as believers? I mean, we hear these stories on one level, they're so challenging, but yet so far removed. Your contention, if I read you correctly, is if you testify about Christ, not about the social issues, about the resurrection of Christ, that you're going to have persecution. I remember hearing Janet Parshall say years ago when the whole Da Vinci Code thing was going on. She said, you can talk, maybe it was her, maybe it was someone else, but they said, you could talk and say that Jesus had a wife and people will line up at your door, beating it down, trying to hear your opinion. But you mentioned that Jesus died and rose again, crickets. Huh. And how do you live out this in a Western culture that in some measure has already heard it and yet has been lulled to sleep and is sleeping away in the middle of these blessings that they have received. How, how do we do that? I mean, not when that we, I expect we, to have an answer, but maybe you do. Well, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a tool, at least. We do the pastor-teacher thing 24-7. We do the evangelism thing like a drive-by shooting. And yet, whether you're talking about Buddhists or Hindus, and especially Muslims, most Muslims come to Christ by sharing meals with you and I in our homes. And, 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 and still, again, if you want to see a movement survive and thrive, then you're going to have the Philippian jailer and his household and Cornelius and his household and Crispus and Lydia and their households and not do this one by one by, by one thing. Anywhere in the world, I don't think it's geared to my personality. I really don't. I think it's geared to my personality and my obedience, but meeting a taxi driver, somebody in a shopping center out in the bush in 15 minutes, just by wanting to hear their story, they're going to take me and buy me a cup of tea and some cookies. If I can speak enough language to be understood and show interest in his wife and kids, and I talk about how I love to eat sheep and even a camel, you know, some camel steak, but I don't care for camel hump. Fried camel hump is just fried camel hump. And, <laughs> and, but, you know, within 30 minutes, brother, code contact. They're going to say, come to my house next week. We have to give them time to get the goat or the sheep or whatever the beast. And they're going to have their extended family there. And we're going to be there four to six hours. And we're going to get to do that as a family and a team three or four times. And then they're going to send a delegation of women to our house. And they're going to go through my wife's drawers. They're going through all the cabinets. They're going through the refrigerator. They're going to look at everything to make sure 
that we don't have pork, we don't have alcohol, we don't have anything in the house that would pollute them and physically drive them away from from God. And 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 then those families, those women are going to give us the good housekeeping seal of approval, and other people are allowed to come to go there. And and what we're going to do, we're going to sit around the table. Do you know what the girl always asks me when I'm in their homes? They're going to ask me as if my wife is not there. How many wives do you have? This is 90% of the time. Well, you're looking at my one wife, and they're going to say or do something that implies you're not much of a man if you can only handle one woman. And I'm not going to let them have the high ground. I say, you don't know my wife. <laughs> if you knew my wife, you'd know why we only have one. And then I mess with them, I mess with them and say, because it's fun and because, you know, the, uh, you're, you're not out debating. You're, you're doing family stuff, you know, and they're going to give their lives for you. If somebody attacks you while you're in their house, you got to be aware of that. And so they'll ask me. And so we start through the Quran and we start through the Bible and, and I'll turn to Ruth and have her tell a story, turn to one of our kids or one of the young people that I brought with me. See, people come to Christ in the hard places of unreached unengaged people they come to christ when they meet somebody their gender and their age who is a christian isn't that note not just to unreached people groups because i see that in our culture where, where you're talking about hospitality yes it's my contention in the west that we've lost that but you at, always at deeper yeah, but you, you always have all the generations you've True. never been without young people old people so we send teams out and a team of eight or 10, and they're all in their 30s. They just married, maybe first baby, singles, and they'll work for 10 years. And everybody that's in Christ will be a single person, 25 years of age and under. Mm. So what you got to do is increase your witnessing mirror to wherever everybody in that house can come close to seeing themselves there. But you're right on that point. And that's the point I'm trying to make is witnessing is two thirds listening and has more to do with hospitality than anything else. It's time consuming. It is not hard. And you witness in order to find out what God's already doing in that person's life. And you build up on what the Holy Spirit has done before you got there. And you're telling the next story and the next story and the next story. And, and you're showing interest because you are interested. And you do love and you do care. You, you pick up that child and you're careful not to look at their wives. And, and but other cultures, it, it's very, very different. And But when they watch me, see, is Muslims ask us two questions, Travis. We know from the beginning, the end, how to do marriage. In Islam, you have no clue how to do that as a follower of Christ. Can we watch you and Ruth? Can we watch her watch you? Can we and those women watch me watch Ruth? They've never had a man, a husband. If you won't love, you go to prostitute. And, and a lot of those cultures, and not all of them. And 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 they say the other thing is from cradle to grave, we know how to raise our kids in Islam. We have no clue how to do that in Christ. They're asking us, begging us, can we have access to your family, to your home, to your meals, to your family devotions? so that we can see three things, how you do marriage, how you do children, and singles, or every family has singles in it. They're tremendously vital to everything we do, how you do marriage, how you do kids, how do you, 
How do you share, break bread together? And they listen to me ask my wife, what are you thankful for, Ruth, around the table? The kids, what would you like me to thank God for? And then appropriately, I thank God for that. And as they watch us worship as a family and sing and laugh and, and the kids retell the story, they'll say, they will say, I can't go and sit under that cross and live. But if following Jesus is thanking him around the mill, well, who can't do that? I can't go to that building and live, that church building. But if loving Jesus is studying the Bible and singing and praying with my family in my house, I can do that tonight. And so what you're doing is you're not just witnessing. Well, you are witnessing, but you're, you know that it's much broader than you think. It's much broader than a Roman road uh, by uh, breaking bread with them and allowing them to come into your lives and you into their lives and you get to know their names. And you know what we do? You know what we do that no other faith system does, brother? This is worth going to Africa for 35 years or overseas. We Outside of a religious building, we are the only faith system I've ever met that prays for people by name in the marketplace and in their homes. Hmm. And some of the most evil people on earth, when I ask, and I've never been turned down, I'd like to bless your home and pray for you in this situation and call that hated, hatred-filled, mean want to kill you, guy, and I call his name out to God, he will not sleep that night. Mm. Because my prayer has taken him in the presence of Jesus, God himself, and then God begins a work in his heart. We're the only faith system on earth that prays for people by name where they live and where they hurt. Wow. Who can't do that? That's incredible. You get to talk to God along with that Muslim, that Buddhist, that Hindu, that communist, that animist. And they get, I mean, when you're taking, you're calling their name out to the creator, yeah. you're ushering them in the presence of God and they're stripped naked in their sins. Well, that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to usher them in the presence of God and then let them deal with what they find there. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty I don't have to do this. I get to do this. How in the West do we recover that sense? Because it's not that hard. I mean, inviting someone over and we know the world is at our doorstep. There was just an article that was released. The Brookings Institution talked about how the nation demographics are changing, but now it's going filtering down into small towns because this isn't just for those on the cross the sea. This isn't just for those that are urban dwellers anymore. This are for those in small town America. This is where this is changing. And we think that they're so the other, but really, as C.S. Lewis once said, friendship begins when you realize and you can say to one another, you too, meaning that there's a there's a commonality, whether it's family, whether it's love, you build that bridge to them. And then you invite your home and open it up. But unfortunately, we in the West have closed our homes. Right. Or we have a superficial uh, fellowship. 
that others do not have that we have to learn from. But the Bible talks such a great deal about hospitality that we've lost it. And and you brought out something that I want to come back to just for a moment. You mentioned you mentioned the women. And I know that Ruth has spent a great deal going into the places that you cannot behind the veil. And I know Audrey's talked about that. Can you describe a bit for uh, Ruth's ministry? We know that obviously she was trained, you said, from this as the time she was a child, but she's ministering in parts that you can't. Describe to us a bit what she has discovered in her ministry to the women in these different cultures. Well, for 50 years, when we looked at the power structure particularly of Islam, we thought, well, you reach the men, you reach the family. And the only thing that's wrong with that, it's not true. <laughs> the only <laughs> thing you're wrong with is that it's not true. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and so what, what, what we found was, is that the majority of women who had been baptized by their husbands, the husband went through this big pilgrimage, dreams and visions, reading the Bible through three to five times, came to Jesus, however that baptism took place. And after a few months, he comes home and he looks at that woman, like we do in Eastern Kentucky, and says, woman, you need to know something. I'm a Christian. That makes this house a Christian. That makes you a Christian. And he baptizes her, and that's her whole pilgrimage. And we never knew that for 50 years. Because we talked to men. And so what women were saying when we started listening Christianity and Islam is the same. It's by men, for men, through men, and women are a secondary consideration. And so what what Ruth does is a lot of places, the conservative places, we're in a house for six hours, four hours, where the men eat on one part of the house and the women eat on the other part of the house. Mm. But when they come to our house at night, they'll come as a couple. Mm. Okay. And it has to be at night. This is like a Nicodemus encounter. It's with a, it's a whole, well, they eat breakfast at noon in a lot okay. of the Arab world. They eat their noon meal at 7 p.m. And they eat the evening meal at midnight. And then they talk politics, sports, and religion midnight to 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and they so sleep have, from 3 to noon. And so, you're, so, you're, they, so they sleep from 3 in the morning yeah, until late. And so uh, lifestyle changes are the hardest changes to make. And we teach this to young couples and we'll get text and email and I'll look at the timestamp and realize where they are in the world. And I'll text back, what's wrong? You're up at three o'clock in the morning. They'll say, well, we're doing what you told us to do. We've just (laughs) been with seven people or 10 people from our apartment complex in the parks that these governments make in the middle of these harsh desert countries. And we've been with our neighbors and their children uh, uh, to to uh, uh, have a meal and and be at the playgrounds and and ride the merry-go-rounds and things like that and and, and see those lifestyle changes are much harder than doctrinal changes. Mm-hmm. I would rather witness to Al Qaeda than get between a conservative Baptist mother and the time she thinks she has to homeschool her children. One of those you have a chance of surviving; the other you don't. Now, that's a lot of tongue-in-cheek, but our mothers are changing the time of day their kids take a nap and the time of night that their kids sleep in order to be with their people that they love and they want to see them in the kingdom of God. I am a witness to the fact that on 
many church staffs with multiple staff members, they have not had meals in each other's house. Yeah, it's true. And so what true. we're asking of them to do is like, like you said so well, is recapture the biblical sense of hospitality. Why are we working so late and so long? Do we need that extra car? Do we need that Hawaii vacation? What is it? Uh, it's not really what is it that I can give up for the kingdom of God is what investment can I put into the kingdom of God that pays dividends and souls that go to heaven. Mm. You know, I can build a bank account or I can build a heaven account. And, and so it, it is, I don't want to make it sound easy. These lifestyle changes are hard. And you know what? We go to a, a Muslim's house and after four or five, six hours, we can stop the visit. We can say thank you for, and it's a wonderful visit. Food, generous people, my mm. goodness. Yeah, very but I can say. So our, our young mothers can say, you know, I've got to get up early and homeschool the kids. So thank you. And about nine or 10 o'clock, we're gone. But when they come to our houses, guess what? They're they not leaving. <laughs> They're not going home until three in the morning. <laughs> and so, so you're, you, you've got to get into a different, different rhythm of life. And going from Africa, where we got up when it was daylight and we went to bed when it got dark, the Arab world was a huge adjustment for us, a huge adjustment. And, and staying up midnight, I think a lot of this is for younger people, perhaps. But uh, uh, but you see, even when you go in their homes, when the older ones will go off somewhere and take a nap and rest and then get back up, it's just a, a easier lifestyle. But again, I think uh, here, here's, here's something for us to unpack another time. I think the West gets an A-plus for teaching the content of the Bible. And we go book by book, chapter by chapter, yeah. verse by verse. We love expository preaching, which is mm -hmm. good for Christians, yep. not a good witnessing tool. And yet, uh, as, as we do that, let me recapture my thought. We, we go book by book, uh, verse by verse. Oh, the thought's not. Can't capture the thought, Travis, because I went to something else there. Um, so book by book, thought by thought. I mean, we do that. We oh, teach yeah, the content yeah, of the Bible really well. Yeah, and, and uh, give us a D minus for teaching the context. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think the context is just as inerrant and infallible as the content. We make the woman at the well come to church to get saved. We make the demonic go to a counselor. The leper, we've got a place for him to go. And yet 90%, when, they, when John the Baptist in prison asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? Jesus said, the blind see, the deaf uh, hear, lame walk, lepers cleanse, dead raised, on and on. And where did that take place in the marketplace? Outside of any religious institution. But that, that's my thesis is that in, I remember you reading this years ago, is that we don't have the Oedipus complex. We have an edifice complex where we want to just build buildings, but the, the culture shifted. Ministry doesn't take place. It, it takes place in real life places, in the homes. Yes. It takes place in business yes. and schools and, yeah. and all of these different places. But in the West, it's, it's, the, it's always the come and see. Come and see, see the celebrity, see the CEO, see the great personality. But I keep looking at all these guys that 
they're not meant to handle this kind of attention. And you see them fall. You see uh, some type of scandal strike because it's 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 we've we've made an idol of the celebrity preacher yes. in many different ways, rather than just seeing that God has called us as a body. Yes, there are great teachers out there, but it's not about building that. It's about building the kingdom of God. Your ministry is going to go go away one day. I mean, last I checked, even your church. I don't see the church at Sardis or Thyatira having a big giant mega church anymore. What happened to those places? Their their job was to extend the kingdom of God in different places. And so I, I'm just giving it wholehearted amen. Yeah, I hear to it. what you're saying. Because, I hear it because it's it, we do emphasize a lot of content and that's great. We need to have good content. And you and I, I mean, you've traveled a whole lot more than I have, but I go to places and there's not a lot of great content sometimes, but yet my friend, Charlie Davis, he says, we're, we're great on content, but we're low on experience and we're low on we're this. And he said, some cultures are high on experience. He, he calls them slider switches, like on a soundboard. Huh. He says, they're high on uh, they're high here on the experience alone on content. And our job is to constantly tweak that no matter where we're going and learn from those and, and, and take the best of what we have, but yet learn from the best of what they have. And that's what I find that we're doing. But in the West, it's always we're, we're content, give them more content, give them more content, give them more content. But we don't know how to experience any longer. We don't hear and, the voice of God. We don't yeah, pray. The, context, the context of that written word, or as we tell the story, the context is always the marketplace. Yeah. And you can't, you can't house that. You, 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 that's where you live. That's where you work. That's where you, that's where it's you play. And, yeah. and, but we, we're, we had a hard time for years as churches ask us how to become missional. And there's a lot of ways of doing that. But um, part of it is, is making what it means to be part of the body of Christ meaningful. You know, yeah. you, you don't join a church. You're, you're, that's your body. And, and yeah. for 10 years or so, we couldn't get anybody to bite the last 20 years. A lot of churches have said, yeah, we'll try this. That Say, when you dedicate your children, let's just give you a little tool. When you dedicate your children in a church, do a number of things. Do what you do. Pray over that child. Give them a Bible. Also, give them a passport application. And start them a savings account. And church, put $100 in it, $150, whatever you think is appropriate. Encourage family members and friends to do that on special days. And by the time that child is 11, 12, 13 years of age, they have their first mission trip paid for. And you're going to say to parents and others who are coming into your body, listen, we're going to do everything we can to help make sure that your, your child, we're going to follow your lead. We're not going to lead your children. We're going to follow your lead. and and Help your kids become world citizens through Christ, but we will do everything we can to see that your children leave America. I don't think and that's going to be a, you're not willing, <laughs> a big time seller anytime if soon. Really, if you're not willing to put on the table Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, mm -hmm. you're in the wrong church. There'll be a, there's a church for you, but it's not this church. Then you make belonging to the body mean something. You're not being ugly. You're just saying this is this is who we are. We we actually in our membership at our church we would give them hammers. 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 We did that because we said we're building the kingdom of God together. If you're coming here, it's time to get to work. Wow. 
and it was a visible picture. Like, you know, people give all these little things and coffee cups. And I had a guy say, Hey, maybe we should give him a game. And I was like, that's the wrong image, but give him a hammer to show that we're building something together. And I'm not talking about the edifice, but it's a metaphor that we are here to build the kingdom of God and not, not anything else. That's, that's what God has called us to do. It, Jesus preached the gospel, but he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. I mean, he he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And I think we have largely lost that doctrine. I, I was talking with TV Thomas. I was in India with him and I said, this was several years ago. And he, I said, what's the doctrine you feel like the American church has lost. And he said, I think we have as a whole lost this understanding of the kingdom of God and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And I I think that's still true. Uh, I mean, as so many things that we have neglected or got caught up in with our celebrity, with so many different comforts, and yet we're seeing God working in other parts of the world that don't have any of those things. They put that, they put this Baptist pastor in a KGB torture facility and he's the leader. So they're going to kill him put his family out in Siberia in a one-room shack, 30 below zero. You know, you pour a glass of water out yeah, and it hits granite so solid. And, uh, and so these are the leaders of, of that movement, and, and they know if they cut off that leadership, it's going to be hard on everybody else. So he's being tortured. She's in this one-room shack, and they've eaten their last crust of bread and their last cup of tea. And your kids, your four kids are scared. They're cold. Uh, they're hungry and they're thirsty. Mama, where's daddy? Mama's daddy alive? Mama, are we going to die? Mama, I'm hungry. Mama, I'm cold. Mama, what's going to happen to us? And that mother, see, that's the real story, maybe. Because in prison, you don't have a lot of choices except to be faithful. That's a big choice. But the the, that mother who raised those kids for those 10 years, those 17 years, in one case, 33 years, you know, and she said, all of your lives, kids, we've taught you to trust God. This is the night we do that. And 30 kilometers, which is 20 miles, God wakes up a deacon in one of those Siberian churches. They, of course, this pastor's family didn't know that church was there and, and woke him up and said, get out of bed. Hitch your horse to the sled and put those meats and vegetables that the church has gathered and take what's needed over to the pastor's family because they're suffering. And the deacon said to me, I, I said, God, you don't understand. It's 30 below zero out there. That horse is going to freeze and I'm going to freeze. He said, the Holy Spirit said, get out of bed, harness the horse, take the foodstuffs to pastor's family. He said, God, the wolves are everywhere. They're going to eat me. They're going to eat the horse. And, he's, and he said to me, the Holy Spirit said to me in the middle of the night, you don't have to come back, but you've got to go. And the next morning they hear, and they're terrified. Who's going to knock on that door? And they're hiding behind that mother. And she opens the door and there stood this man of God, this deacon, and, and said, the Holy Spirit has sent me. I've got this food stuff and I've got all the tea and all this stuff. This is enough to last you for months. Now that we know you're here, we'll be back. We're going to take care of you. You know what we call that? We call that church. Hmm. <laughs> we call that church. You mentioned another story about this. These Chinese pastors, you're talking to them, and you ask them a question, what can I do for you? 
And they responded. They said, we have 400 families yes. that are financially in need. Tell that really quick. Well, they, in that movement, I could clearly document uh, uh, by breaking down their leadership and stuff. And one of the ways that God has made me is I connect the dots. Uh, I haven't always listened well, but I've been taught to listen well. And, and the 10 million people in house churches, in that movement, I think is a really solid figure. <laughs> and so I, 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 so what would happen that I didn't expect, I would listen to them for 10 to 14 hours a day. And then they'd want me to teach the Bible word for word, chapter by chapter, because they had so few Bibles. So I would teach through Luke or something every night for two or three hours. And so we got to know each other fairly well. But I knew from being in Africa, that was the wrong question. When they, they, they were, were doing sort of Q&A and it was, things were going along well. And, and, uh, and, and, and I needed to ask them, how can we learn from you and how can we partner with you? But I used a more money question. How can I, how can we help you? And they talked about uh, their 400 pastors, deacons and elders in prisons across that country and, and that their families were suffering and, and this, that, and the other. And it just went to my mind, okay, this is, this is God. This is why you made me, you know, this is early on in this persecution journey. This is why you made me. I got a big mouth. I can tell stories. I'll go back and I, I'll outdo anybody, but I, I, we will raise money to help the persecuted church. And God would not allow me to speak. It was terrifying. I could not open my mouth. I couldn't speak. I thought, you know, I've read stories and I was, uh, I've always been dumb, but now I just can't, I can't speak. And I just finally just had enough common sense with them looking at me like what's going on with this guy. It wouldn't have taken long to where they'd come up there and laid hands on me to get out whatever got into me. But uh, I said, Lord, speak your servant wants to hear. And God said, say this. I said, I can't say this. He said, I'm not giving you a choice. Thus saith the Lord. I said to them, how many of you are in this movement? They said, we've already told you. There's over right out of 10 million. I said, hear the words of God. If 10 million of you can't take care of 400, just 400 families, do we have the right to call ourselves followers of Jesus or the church of Jesus Christ? And I thought, well, I don't know where I am in that place. I, 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 I laid down in the back of a van taxi type of thing for 18 hours, which is totally against my personality. And uh, I didn't know where I was in that whole country. And I said, I've offended everybody I know. And they're just going to, I'm done. And this lady began to cry. And another lady began to weep. And they began to hold themselves and pull their hair and began to cry out to God for forgiveness. And they just begged God for forgiveness. And after this went on for 30, 40 minutes, um, with me just sitting there watching it, the leader got up, one of the leaders got up and wiped the dusty tears off his face. And he said, you're going to go home. You're going to go home. And we want you to tell the story of our faith. You don't have to tell the stories of our financial need. He said, if 10 million of us think, can't care for just 400 families, we have no right to call ourselves followers of Jesus 
are the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Ripken, you go home and you do your job and let us do our job. And um, what, convicting? What word do I use? You see, I don't want to come home and beat up on the bride of Christ any more than I want somebody to beat my bride up. It's a bride of Jesus here in America. But that's why I want her to be faithful. I want her to love her husband, the bridegroom. I, I, I want her to soar. I, I want her to, to have a spiritual marriage that is just beyond uh, human words. I, I, I don't want to, to reduce that to a denominational doctrinal position. Uh, those, 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 of course, important. Uh, I, I want it to be a, a vibrant place where believers come together and then take Jesus to the marketplace. And then that bride comes back together and celebrates with new parts of that family of what Jesus has done in all the six days of those that they've been apart, perhaps. But you and I are probably making the cardinal mistake is that the center of worship for the kingdom of God in the Bible and in the world today is in the home. We're fighting over who leads the church. The biggest deficit we have in Christianity in America is the lack of men leading their families in worship in their home. That is the center of worship in Christianity in the world today and always has been. And, and I often think, and I'm not opening up a can of worms, but if I give my children over to a, a any godly clergy to lead them to Christ, to baptize them, to disciple them, then what I've done is given up my leader, spiritual leadership of my family mm -hmm. to someone else, and I've allowed them to take away from me the joy of leading my kids to Christ, baptizing them, and gathering them in my home for worship. And then as we join the broader body, and do even greater things that we couldn't do as a family. When you farm your children out to someone else to lead them spiritually, you've abdicated your role as God's person in that home. When I think of the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, you, sh you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second part where he says, and then you shall teach them to your children. Yeah. Or in Malachi, where he says, uh, God giving a man and a woman and, and giving a portion of spirit in their union. And for what purpose? So that we would produce godly offspring. So there is this idea that I think the church is lost of the family and God's intent for it. Because it is, yes, it is the church, by the church, that living institution, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But it's the families that help make up the church. I mean, yes, there are singles, and we need to talk about singleness Absolutely. as well in, in the body of Christ, because in many ways, singleness has lost its, it got a really bad rap as if something is wrong with you. And God has called people to singleness. You've, you've alluded to that. And I, it's just that we have such a convoluted understanding of what the family is and how we are to live as Christians with our responsibility that God has given as husbands, as fathers, as wives, as mothers, 
within our society today, no wonder the, the family is, is really a mess. In many ways, the church is reflecting the transitions of the family, that the devil has really gone out of his way to, to, to do those things and to, to really uh, affect the church. And going back for a moment, talking about the effect of the church and talking about these people that you've spoken to, there's one other story that I want to draw out today in our time. And I hope that we can pick up this conversation again, because I think we could talk all day long uh, on, on these that. issues. Um, but you mentioned the story of hearing, you were sharing with these Chinese brothers, the persecution that those who, in, who are, have come to Christ, the Muslim background believers have encountered. And you woke up, you went to bed that night. You were, you said you're tired, you were done. And you woke up the next morning and, and so, to, to really yeah. a loud noise. Describe that whole situation, if you will, well, because you know, it's phenomenal. The, the bamboo curtain around East Asia, China is, is as strong as any, what we used to call about the iron curtain of the Soviet Union. And, and you know, we, nothing got in and out of there from the Cultural Revolution in 48, I remember reading an article in 1983 that as China was beginning to open up, were we going to get, uh, would we find any churches left alive yeah. and any believers left alive? And when we got back in there, we found out that 400,000 severely persecuted, uh, martyred, uh, destroyed churches had become uh, over 10 million believers. Uh, and that's what... Uh, God had, uh, had, had, had done uh, in that place. And so uh, the point is, like you say, they were so isolated and so closed off that one of the first questions they asked me at, at, is the biggest, I thought they had gathered way too many leaders. And sometime in that process, I thought, and another, it's another story that we were getting busted, but not. But they, they asked me, uh, uh, as they told me what was going on in their country, if Jesus had made it to other places or whether China was the only place Jesus had got to. And I thought, my goodness, what isolation and what faith and, and how much they needed and we needed them, they needed us. And so I, I told them a lot about America and a lot of little spinoff stories come from that. But I chose to tell them about believers in Saudi Arabia and Somalia and and the wounds are still not healed from watching all those believers martyred in Somalia. And, and uh, uh, many of those that were some of my best friends. And, and, and when I shared that, they were just, they've been so vivacious and so open and, and hearing their stories. There were a lot of laughter, a lot of singing and praying and studying the Bible went off late into the night. And, and they just, they, were, they, didn't, they didn't move. They didn't blink. They were totally inscrutable, expressionless. And I thought, well, that was a big hit. And one of the things I don't tell very often, uh, my, my, my soul was soaring in these interviews and travel among these believers, but uh, uh, hiding out and sleeping in a bed that's a, probably a single and a half with three other guys for weeks at a time. I don't find that edifying, you know, having a bad stomach. Uh, uh, stepping in a hole thinking I broke an ankle and there's no place I can go for medical care. And, and I've got all this stuff that's going on internally that's singing with the angels. And yet this shell of my body is just taking a big beating 
of by what we're trying to do. And, and I went to get, I just stumbled off that little platform and went in and got into the bed thinking, well, let me grab 30 minutes before the other three guys come get in the bed with me because you wake up at night and you've got an arm across your chest and somebody else is giving you the Abrahamic blessing. You know, that's just not edifying for me. That's, that's not what rednecks do. And, and, uh, That's good, Nick. Keep going. I, Sorry, very few I, people I, know what that means, but that's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I just let that one out, but I just and I just went to bed. I thought well, I thought they don't care. And the next morning, I hear about six in the morning at daylight. I hear all this yelling, mm-hmm. screaming, like. So I get up thinking, okay, we've been here too long. There's too many of us. They, they're busted. They're going to go to jail and I'm going to be taken to the airport, which is usually what they do. You can't, you can't make persecution fair. That's just something mm. else we have to talk about sometime. But, um, and, and I went out there and, and, and they're sitting on the ground, men and women, old, young, dust is flying. And they're pulling their hair and they're pulling their clothes and they're beating the ground and they're crying out. And, and I thought, well, this is some kind of mass stuff, bad stuff going on. And, Jonathan, who's with the Lord now, the interpreter that's out of Taiwan and then out of California, he saw the look on my face and saw my body language, came looking over and he said, Nick, just just be quiet and listen to what they're saying. I said, you know, I know absolutely no Chinese. He said, just be quiet. Basically, for once in your life, just be quiet. He took me by the hand and we're walking among people who don't know down there and they're crying out to God. They're hitting themselves. And as I'm quiet, I hear Somalia, 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 Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. And Jonathan looked at me and tears are just streaming down his face. He said, now these are people, 40% of them were in prison at that time. Men, women from rural places, urban places, highly educated oral communicators. They were looking at prison as their theological seminary. Mm. I have watched how they had been beaten, how they were suffering, and in some cases, tortured and killed. And they're yelling out to God for Somalia, Saudi Arabia. And Jonathan said, when you talked last night about the believers who are really persecuted, was their words, they vowed unto God after you went to bed that they would get up an hour early each morning and pray for believers in Somalia and Saudi Arabia until Jesus is made known there. Now we've got the biggest movement of Christianity in persecution in China. The lowest estimates are 85 million. Uh, uh, There's significant things going now. Face recognition software and stuff. This is a tough, tough time for the church house churches. Uh, Again, we'll have to save that up. But, but I was able to go back months later to Somali believers and to Saudi believers. And uh, I don't want to give your listeners the impression there are a lot of believers in Saudi Arabia. We just don't want to paint targets anywhere. But I went back to them and I said, how are things going? They said, well, you, you can't believe it since you've been gone. The breakthroughs that we've had and the relationships that's been healed and families that have come into the kingdom. I said, yeah, I think I do believe it. There's a movement in China of 10 million people that vowed unto God to pray for you an hour each day. And they just began to weep. 
And he said, oh, God, as if I'm not there. Oh, God, let us live long enough to make it to China, to thank those who didn't forget us and who remembered to pray for us when we needed them the most. That's one of the things that the Western church must remember, must remember that Simon of Cyrene carried the cross of Jesus when Jesus could not carry it himself. And through prayer and intervention and fasting, we carry our brothers and sisters in persecution when they can no longer carry themselves. And are we willing today? This is my wife's statement. Are we willing for them to pray for us when it becomes our turn to suffer and be persecuted to the same extent that we're praying for them today? And Ruth will say all the time, there is no such thing as a persecuted church and a church in freedom. There's just the church of Jesus Christ that all day, every day, it's persecuted and it's free, but it belongs to itself. Mm. That's a good word from, from Ruth. Uh, Nick, I want to thank you for all your time. How, oh, how can brother. people learn more about what you're doing and your story? Uh, how can they follow you? Well, we, we uh, as a gift from the church in persecution, we, we uh, have were commanded by God to write these books. Uh, uh, the most important book for me is The Insanity of Obedience. Uh, the insanity of God we wrote first, and it's a lot of these stories that we tell. Uh, and a lot of people in those stories are still alive. Some mm -hmm. of them aren't. Many of them are. But the insanity of God is a, a, a book of inspiration. The insanity of obedience is a book of perspiration. Mm. It's how to be wise. You can't change being sheep among wolves, but you don't have to be stupid sheep. And the insanity cool. of God makes the premise that when persecution comes, not if it comes, when it comes, let's live our lives in such a way and reach out in such a way that the persecution is for who Jesus is and not for who Nick is. Mm. And then we did a, a book called The Insanity of Sacrifice, and it's a 90-day devotional book to use as, so families can use it sort of to get them started worshiping together. I want to do a children's book, but when you have to do a book that's illustrated with just a few words per page. That's the hardest thing I've ever attempted in my life. Mm. So if people will access those books, it, they can put their fingers on the pulse of God, of what he's doing among the nations, and see the abject poverty of soul and sense what it's like to walk where there's not a word of scripture in your language, and at the same time get to listen in on where uh, movements of God are exploding. And uh, I think, though, the most of anything else is read your Bible and practice, read the content and practice the context and take Jesus across the street. Take a meal to your Muslim neighbor, to that immigrant. Uh, they're, they're, they're waiting. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for mm -hmm. you to say welcome. They're waiting for you to invite them to the house. They're not going to kill you in your beds. Matter of fact, the, the safest thing, the, the, the way that we do security the best around the world is by being a good neighbor. Mm. I didn't find out until months later how many times Somalis surrounded our compound when they heard that the fundamentalists were coming to hurt us. And we had fed their village. We had brought water to them. 
We had saved their children from starvation, whatever it was. We didn't even know it. They heard the bad guys are coming and they physically surrounded our compound a block or two out and said to the fundamentalists, if you want those people, you have to go through us. They are the ones that love us. And by the way, they've done things for us that you've never done for us. That's what witness will do for you. And I'm begging your people, your listeners, don't cheat yourself. Because what you do when you share Christ is when you see a life changed from abject poverty of soul to walking into eternity, that affirms your own salvation. That affirms how real Jesus is to you. And yet if you don't witness and you don't see lives change, you'll become where you doubt your own salvation. And that if, if Jesus ceases to be Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and he just becomes a good moral person to keep your kids out of drugs, off alcohol, and from getting pregnant before they're married. Promise me next time we come together, we can discuss more of this stuff. Hey, I'm yours. I'm cheap. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a phone call away. And you, uh, you, you, you can give no one a greater gift than allow them to exercise their gift. And my body can't take me where my heart wants to go. And so being able to speak and tell these stories on behalf of believers around the world uh, it's a, a rare gift, brother, you have given me. Well, you have given us a gift and something that I am very, very thankful for. And I hope sometime I, I want to talk about the insanity of obedience and the insanity of sacrifice. I, I, I don't have those yet. Someone, uh, a friend of ours, a mutual friend gave me the insanity of, uh, of God. And mm -hmm. uh, I've got my copy right there. But uh, they also said we need to meet and hear from Ruth. So I'd love Absolutely. to have Ruth come on and share some oh, of her stories, do. but we'll, we'll, uh, let's do that. And we'll talk right after we're done here, but thank you so much. Uh, also they can follow you on your website, Nick Ripken ministries. That's right. They just yep. Google that and see do, all that we've do done. NickRipkin.com and they'll find us. All righty then. That's that that's in mind. I want to thank you for coming on Apollos water day. It has truly been a blessing. Oh man. To find a brother. It's like finding a glass of ice water in the desert. Amen and amen. I told you it would be challenging and inspirational, and indeed it was. I have to say that I thoroughly enjoy that conversation because it made me want to go deeper. It made me want to be more authentic. It made me want to be more zealous and bold and vocal and it made me want to see more and more people go out into the world to share and live out the gospel. Or as we say, water your faith so that you can go water your world. And he's just simply describing what that world is all around us. And that there is a persecuted church, but we are one church. Whether we live in freedom or we live in persecution, we are one people of God. And we need to learn from our brothers and sisters so that we might be able to grow. And we might take advantage of this opportunity that God has given us in our culture, whereby we can share the gospel freely. May we be challenged and may we be encouraged by the examples of our brothers and sisters under the shadow of persecution. I would also highly recommend you going back and getting Nick's book. 
The Insanity of God. I actually look forward to getting his other books, The Insanity of Obedience and The Insanity of Sacrifice. And we hope to have Nick and Ruth on the show again sometime soon. But I would encourage you to go to Nick Ripken dot com and check out the resources that they have made available. Also check the schedule because he's traveling around to different places, sharing how you might be able to participate and help the church around the world. And I want to let you know that today was brought to you in part by the NLT. And if you go to Tyndale.com and put in the promo code NLT Bibles, you get, because you listen to this show and you rock, you get 15% off whatever you purchase at Tyndale.com. Isn't that cool? Yes, it is. Just nod your head. Yes, it is cool. And you need to be able to check that out and get that. And I want to thank our Apollos Watered team. It's almost getting that there are too many people to name, but I really especially want to thank our audio engineer, Donovan, for making this happen. Water your faith water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody.